Hi everyone, I'm Claudia Sarek. And I'm Matt Lynch. And this is So You Wanna Run a Restaurant, powered by Back of House, where we let you have a seat at the table and talk about trending topics in the restaurant industry. Well, we've got Rachel Cope with us on the show today, who is the founder and CEO of 84 Hospitality in Oklahoma City. She's really cool. Yeah, she's all of a lot of fun. Uh, I've never been to Oklahoma City myself. So next time, yeah, or first time I guess I get there, I will definitely be bookmarking her restaurants to check out. Yeah. I mean, she started as a single pizza place in a converted laundromat mm-hmm. and has grown into a five concept restaurant group with locations all over Oklahoma City and elsewhere around the state. So I think her she's got an interesting story that I can't wait to hear more about and the kind of like the road and the path that she took to get there. So Yeah, and she I think especially had a lot of really interesting thoughts on how to go from that first restaurant to a broader mm-hmm. multi-concept restaurant group, which I know a lot of restaurateurs think about when they're looking at kind of what their next thing is. So uh, yeah, really excited for people to hear this. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right. Well, let's welcome her to the show. Running a restaurant involves making a lot of tough decisions, but choosing Touch Bistro POS isn't one of them. Our sponsor, Touch Bistro, offers an all-in-one POS and restaurant management system that's easy to afford and even easier to use. Visit touchbistro.com to find out why thousands of restaurants trust Touch Bistro to help them simplify operations, increase sales, and deliver a great guest experience. All right. Well, we are really excited to have Rachel Cope on the show with us today. She's the founder and CEO of 84 Hospitality in Oklahoma City. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rachel. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So yeah, Rachel, we always kind of like to start with how people found their way into the hospitality industry. And from what I've read, your path there was a little bit unusual and kind of unexpected. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about how you first got started in restaurants? Yeah, I joke that I'm an accidental restaurateur, but you know, uh, some of some of uh, some very famous restaurateurs in the U.S. Danny Meyer, you know, he was a uh, somebody. We have kind of a similar path uh, where he was supposed to go to law school or, or did, and then just kind of fell in love with restaurants. And that was a little bit of what happened to me. I played sports really heavily my entire life, all the way through college. And in the summers, I would wait tables. It was easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents made me do it um, to have a job. <laughs> And it was just, it was flexible. It was fun. And then I would quit and I would go back to school and then do it all over again the next year. Well, when I graduated from college, I took the LSAT and I just was kind of over being so regimented. Um, Mm -hmm. Collegiate sports is a lot. And then, you know, going to school at the same time is, it's a lot of work. Um, And I've been doing that for a long time. So my stepdad was an attorney. He gave me some great advice. He just said, you can always go back and do this later, which is sort of the path that he had taken uh, with his career also. He said, just go have fun. So I kept waiting tables and um, I had, was going to a university here in Oklahoma City. And I just, I, I had a manager who inspired me at a local restaurant group. And then I just kind of kept climbing the ladder in that group. And I found a lot of similarities uh, from sports and the restaurant industry, the competitiveness of it. And uh, just that kind of like high energy, a little bit chaotic Uh lifestyle that I thrive in, I think. Um, It's not for everyone. But anyway, 2012, I naively entered a contest for an old laundromat space here in Oklahoma City. It's like a citywide contest for ideas and lost the contest and then 
they came back to us later and said, do you have any other ideas? Apparently they didn't like our Euro cafe, <laughs> which I don't know what we were thinking. But I don't know. That sounds pretty normal. A Euro style cafe where you can yeah. eat a croissant, not, sip an espresso. I'm all for it. Yeah, in Paris. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Maybe not Oklahoma City. But uh, <laughs> anyway, right? I had gone to a pizza place in Austin um, between those two conversations with the landlords and fell in love with that and decided I wanted to, that seemed like a better fit for a space, maybe not the one we were trying to win. Uh, yeah. And then sure enough, they came back and said, do you have any other ideas? And so Empire Slice House was born in uh, 2013. Wow. That's awesome. So tell us more about that, the first pizza concept. Was there something in particular you felt was missing in Oklahoma City that you felt you could provide with that? Or what, I mean, because I know everywhere we go, I feel like there's a lot of pizza places. So what made yours different and what made you want to want to go that route? Yeah, the few restaurant people I did know, they kind of advised me not to do that. Um, pizza is a heavily saturated style of restaurant in almost every U.S. city. Um, but what we were missing here were two things I felt like. There was only one buy the slice option. And the way they were doing mm-hmm. it was they were cooking off all cheese, like cheese pizzas, and then putting your toppings on top of the cheese and kind of sending it through a conveyor mm. style oven. And it just yeah, wasn't. That, that's not the way to do it. It's not the way to do it. I, get, I mean, I think <laughs> no. like a cost perspective because their waste was probably very minimal um, in doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But so they were the only game in town with that. And then the other thing was, is being an industry person myself for so many years as a server, a bartender, a manager, we would get off work at 11, 11.30 sometimes at night and there would be nowhere to go eat. We'd be reduced to having to go to eating, you know, frozen foods that were dropped in a fryer at the local bar, you know, and, and, Mm -hmm. or a diner that was on the far side of town that was just terrible, but there was nowhere to go, like have a meal. Um, And another thing for me is, is after I had graduated college, I had never really gotten to travel for just like pleasure. I had always had to do it for sports. And so I finally got to go kind of see the, see New York, see Chicago. So, and, and I was so inspired and I was so jealous of the fact that you could make a dinner reservation at 11 o'clock and have this very social community <laughs> setting, right? That was yeah. not a ball. Um, and I, I mean, I love a good cocktail, don't get me wrong, but sometimes, you know, it's nice to be able to sit down and decompress and not be in that kind of setting right. when mm-hmm. you're at work. And I realized too, that there, not just the restaurant industry, but a lot of other industries have that late night kind of workforce that was dealing with the same problem. Um, so we used to be open till 2 a.m. every night of the week. And oh wow, I will say, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of things changed. But for us, one of the things that we stuck with even post-pandemic has been um, we close at midnight now on the weekends. Those mm-hmm. hours between 12 and 2 were really hard on our staff. And we yeah. weren't serving our best quality food and we weren't giving our best service at the end of like a 12 hour shift. Um, and the people that you get sometimes coming through the doors of a restaurant between 12 and two, uh, you know, <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> colorful, <laughs> colorful characters characters yeah. can be really fun, can be really bad. So yeah. we just, it, it's been really great for our staff to be done at a reasonable time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it seemed to be fine from a business perspective as well. So. Those are the two reasons that we really, you know, the, the holes that we saw in the, in the market here that we wanted to try to attack that made us different. 
And it sounds like consumers wanted it too, because it, it sounds like you got a pretty steady flow of traffic there based on what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, you look at the sales that we started with in 2013 and they're triple that per week now. So there's definitely been a gradual increase in that neighborhood too. I mean, the neighborhood mm -hmm. we went into is called the Plaza District here. It's so cool. It's artsy. It's eclectic. It has all this great tenant mix of, of different things. But when we first got there, it was rough. Um, we were one of the first, you know, restaurants in the, in the neighborhood and um, just a lot of empty spaces and mm -hmm. just uh, some things that needed to be improved upon with the infrastructure and lighting and parking and all that kind of, all those kinds of things. But over the past 10 years, our 10 year anniversaries this year for Empire. It, um, Congratulations. Thanks. We made it. Sometimes I didn't know if we'd make it past yeah. one, but yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's been, that's been kind of our journey down there. It's funny in my head. I'm like, oh, 2013, that's not that long ago. Oh, right. That is 10 years ago. I know. <laughs> that's how I feel. Good Lord. Yeah. I know. So I know uh, since Empire, you've brought in into a few other concepts with 8-4 Hospitality. You've got uh, tacos, ramen, burgers, just sort of checking the box of all things that's I like cute. to eat. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to kind of as you've done that. I'd love to hear what else you've learned about kind of your process of formulating a concept, evaluating whether or not it's a fit and kind of how you go about that now versus, you know, how you're thinking about it maybe when you were first starting to broaden your horizons. Yeah, um, man. The second concept we did was is Goro Ramen. Um, it opened in June or July of 2016. I had been doing these pop-up dinners with a good friend of mine who's a fantastic chef here. And um, we were kind of testing a concept, which I really recommend for people if you can do that. You not only test your idea, but you test um, music and serviceware. And you really test your working relationship with your team, which if you're taking on like an actual operating partner, I would definitely suggest that because no matter how good of friends you are, everything changes. When money gets involved and, and yeah. things start happening, and you mm -hmm. know, just I would really recommend that. So we did that for a year. We'd already known each other mm -hmm. for about eight years prior to that. So, uh, but that went really well. Our skill sets complemented each other really nicely. The public reacted really uh, great to those pop-up dinners. And then a space came along in the Plaza District on the opposite side of the uh, district. And it was the perfect size for a ramen shop. And so, you know, we went for it. Now, on the opposite end of that, in 2016 in November, we opened our Mexican restaurant which we call Rev. So I was saying like Goro, um, you know, that was a, a tested concept and we did all the things that I would still recommend people to. And then Rev was the things I would recommend not to do. Um, we were a young group at the time. We didn't really have any support above the store level other than myself. Um, and we are a, a development team, uh, company in town had come to me with this really cool building, but it was kind of on the outskirts of, the city, like where, where the city was expanding and would be cool in three years, but they kind of defined the type of restaurant they were looking for. And I felt like I created a concept to fit a space instead of finding a space to fit my concept. And I would mm. not recommend doing that um, because you do it for the wrong reasons. And yeah. it just ends up being really, uh, it's just, it just doesn't feel uh, right for me. So in the future, since that, we've always, created concepts that we were really passionate about. And then, you know, 
looked for a space or have been open to a space if it came along that fit that for us. Um, Rev has had its roller coaster moments over the years. It's doing well, finally. Um, but, you know, it had a it had a rough start out of the gate for a while. When we created those two restaurants is when we also created our hospitality group. And that was to hire that team, to have a bookkeeper in-house, to, to have another person to assist me with operations that could be shared by all stores. And it's really a great tool for marketing yourself to recruit staff um, because you get to build that company culture and and they get to know the name 84 Hospitality Group or your restaurant group's name in town, I think, versus maybe just a single restaurant, kind of tying them all together. Um, anyway, so that was all kind of pre-pandemic. And then mm-hmm. we, were, we were operating in footprints anywhere between, everything was full is, has been full service, operating in footprints anywhere between you know, 2,000 to 4,500 square feet. And kind of post-pandemic, our, my new thought, and this is a struggle, you know, everywhere right now is with staffing issues and cost of goods and all these things, inflation, all the things that we're battling, we're really focused on a couple things. One is finding a um, smaller, more efficient footprint. We are testing some kind of hybrid counter service uh, models where basically we would take your order at the counter, you go sit down, we bring your order out, and we've got someone that's kind of floating with maybe like a handheld in case you need another drink or you want something else so that you don't have to get back up and come to the counter. But what we're trying to decrease is the number of people that we need to run these places because in, in mm. staffing a restaurant that's 2,000 square feet full service, you need four full-time managers. You need a kitchen manager. You need hosts and server assistants and expos and all these things. And it adds up. And we're talking um, 70 people sometimes in a market that's really strained right now. Um, so I personally am focused and our, keeping our group focused on the smaller footprint, like high volume, really uh, counting on third-party delivery, which uh, that's a whole nother podcast for another time, necessary evil yeah, right, right. All, that we all use, but we all hate at the same time. Um, and just really those outside sales, like how do you get sales that are outside of the small footprint? And that's really where we are at right now with what we're going to do moving forward. Um, part of me, hates it because as a just a restaurant lover in general i love hospitality so much i love table service and i love those interactions that you can have with people and those moves that you can do in those um full service establishments and so i'm hoping that we'll do enough of these that we create the revenue that we need to do some passion projects again that are getting back to those things that we we love so much um so that's that's where we're at right I know. I know. One of the things you you already have going is kind of a, a smaller, more takeout focused version of Empire. Was that kind of one of the first steps towards this, like thinking about smaller, leaner uh, footprint uh, restaurant models? Yeah, and for me too, it was. We we kind of, we actually did our first one in 2017, but it wasn't for that reason. We were operating that that contest mm. that we won. We had no idea what Empire was going to become. It was only 1800 square feet inside. We had one set of ovens. We were making dough in a three by six closet every night at three o'clock in the morning. Wow. All these things that we were doing and we were just getting busier and busier. And it was just really hard on the staff. And, and, and we couldn't, we couldn't even, so we couldn't do to go because we could only service our in-house, but we knew there were sales missing. So there was actually a building two doors down. And this is a note I kind of took from Home Slice in Austin because they did the same thing. Uh, 
they, I think it's called Home Slice 2 or I'm pretty sure that's what it's called, like T-O-O. Uh, and it's mm. just a few doors down and it's literally just a very small takeout shop. And, it, and we sent mm-hmm. all of our business there. Um, when the pandemic, what we realized was is we had moved Empire into a bigger building down the street in 2018 when our lease was up from the original space. We build a brand new building down the street. We move that. And then uh, we realized that with all the changes that we'd made, we were kind of just giving away our takeout sales to the space next door. And we were kind of overcomplicating it. We felt like we could bring those sales back in, especially during the pandemic. We needed to keep everybody in like one place uh, the best that we could. So we closed the slice shop and, and, and moved it further away into a second generation space to test this. Um, this model that we're talking about now, uh, where it really stands on its own now. And it's not just an afterthought when you can't get a pizza at the full service spot. And those have been really fun. Uh, we've, we've have two right now and another one under construction. And then we have three full service empires, one in Tulsa, one in Edmond, which is a suburb to the North of Oklahoma city. And then our original location here, but we're really focused on stamping out those slice shops. They only need like 25 employees. One of our locations, I haven't even been inside. Mm -hmm. I'm embarrassed to say in like 10 months. (laughs) They don't need me. That's great. And they just. That's what you want though, right? That's the dream, right? I've been in the other ones. The well-oiled machine. Yeah. So that that is the model. Well, so continuing that thread, I know you, you, you mentioned this a couple of times when we're talking about labor and staffing. And I know you know, you also mentioned your, you know, when you, you started your, the restaurant group officially, you started creating that culture, um, and really focusing on the, you know, that, that staffing culture that we're, you know, that leads to retaining more staff and just building that, building that sense of, you know, community amongst, amongst your folks. So talk to us a little bit more about how you approached that and any lessons learned along the way that you could, that you could give other folks. One of the easiest ways that I, I try to relate to the staff, it's gotten harder as we've grown because we I don't know everyone anymore and I hate that. I know that that's just part of how this goes, especially when we have so much turnover in the industry. But uh, I am them. I have been them. I have worked every position in a restaurant. And so I really try to consider those things when we're building them. Um, we use a tip tracker at every store and that's really to make sure that I think they're making enough money. Uh, sometimes we might supplement mm. those things if something's happening, that's not their fault. If we're overstaffing because it's a new store, maybe there's a supplemental tip that we're dishing out as a bonus. Um, because I know how I know how that feels to drive 20 minutes to get to work and to show up and there be seven people working when there should be maybe four. Um, that's how you lose people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, in the market that we're in right now, I don't want to do that. But also, I don't want to treat people that way. It's not their fault that we have seven people. Um, right. So we 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 do things like that. Uh, also, just have be being a server and a bartender and knowing you know how hard that is, especially things like managing your finances when you're just dealing with cash all the time. Yeah. Uh, insurance and not knowing how to approach that and just all this stuff. So we try to be an open book and be very helpful to our staff just regarding like life things. Uh, to the best of our ability when they need it. Um, but that's been something along the way that we've tried to consider. Like, can we make deals with places in town to to give our staff uh, a haircut for this much? Like a gym membership 
and we supplement that and, and they pay $10 out of their check and we have a deal where we pay the other 30 or something. Okay. Um, that was something that we really started digging into along the way because as you all know, in every industry right now, quality of life is, is taking over sometimes for actual dollars. Yeah. Um, yes, we all need a certain amount of money to live, but no one, I think the pandemic really showed us that we have one life to live and, you know, yes, we enjoy working, but it shouldn't necessarily be your life. Um, I obsess about work and I like that, but that's not for everyone. Um, and so we've been really focused on just making sure that we are paying people what they're supposed to be paid uh, to live that kind of life where they're not having to work three jobs and, and those types of things. And we just keep trying to come up with creative ways to take care of them as people. Um, and that's really come back to us, I think. I think that that's been the word on the street about our group is that we care. Um, and that's tricky. There's a fine line um, of getting too involved sometimes. And it, 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 I, it pains me sometimes to have to tell people no in certain situations that just, you know, just a little bit over that line. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The reason I'm in the industry is because I love five things that we do here. And that's art, food, music, booze, and people. And not in that order, maybe. But uh, yeah. I feel like I Depends also love people. those things. I don't know what order so, I'd put them in either. <laughs> depending on the day, it changes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right, right. right? Right? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, when you're kind of rolling out any of these new uh, kind of more quality of life focused initiatives around your step, do you kind of have any way you go about evaluate I mean, whether or not, you know, it's moving the needle in terms of how your staff is feeling? Or is it more just kind of the anecdotal feedback you're getting for people if this is something you're using or interested in? I'm curious how you evaluate those steps you're taking as you're implementing them. We're still working on that. A few years ago, um, mm -hmm. I had started working on almost like an app just for our team to use where they could see all of the perks they could access and that would give us some better analytics from a tracking perspective on what was being used and how. And that kind of all fell apart when the pandemic hit because we kind of halted uh, any extra things that we were working on at the time to try to save ourselves. Um, also, just tracking retention in general in the past few years has been really hard. Um, because yeah. everyone was understaffed, because it was so skewed from going from 350 employees company-wide down to like 100 and then this hiring of everyone and those people didn't fit. And so they got kind of weeded out along the way. So I guess the short answer is, is that no, we, I don't feel like we have a really good way of tracking that other than I kind of pride myself in being a pretty intuitive person and just picking up on mm -hmm. the lines. And um, just at our company party that we threw in, in January, which was quite the event. Uh, we opened it up to the public later. We fly in a band from wherever this year we had a band called Ghostland Observatory and it was just a blast and the staff gets to see us be not their boss that day uh to an extent and and open that to the public so they can see like how we are together but I tell you all that because the amount of people that showed up at our company party I was so impressed by uh, everyone was so happy to be there and I just I, I felt really good about where we were as a company and a team. And that was the first time I'd really seen everybody back together in one place. Um, and it was a lot of people. So I was, I was very proud of our team and, and how far we've come with, you know, that culture and, 
and people want to be there. They're driving from Tulsa to come to the, to the party. And I thought that was really, really cool. That is really cool. I love that you're doing that with your staff too. I feel like I don't, I don't know. That's awesome. Um, Thanks. Uh, it's, it's selfish too, because every year I'm like, what band do I want to see? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can make it your own. Like you're the host. So you yeah. get to decide like, what kind of food do you want? What kind of, what's their signature cocktail for the event? Oh yeah. I know how that right. goes. And we also always do like a theme. And so this year was Cosmic oh. Cowboy. <laughs> it was everybody dressed up and we were all wearing, I was wearing like a leather, like jumpsuit with like a hat and neon glasses. And it, again, it just, it makes us human. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they don't get to see that again. You have to like know when to tell yourself to maybe go home that night, but, um, it's just such a blast. And we get to, again, interacting with the public later in the night. Usually we donate part of the proceeds to a, a charity that we, whichever one we selected for the year, but it's just a lot of fun. And it kind of, it gave me like a renewed sense of hope about everything. Mm-hmm. And so that was really nice for me as well. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Okay. So I want, I, you've done a lot, obviously, and I would love to have you give some advice here to other restaurant operators who have a, you know, who are ready to branch into something new, be it a new location or a new concept. You talked a little bit about this with the ramen spot. Um, so any other advice that you would give to folks, given that you've, you've kind of dipped your toe in many different areas here? Kind of relative to what we were speaking about earlier. Uh, I asked myself yeah. kind of three questions right now, whenever we're thinking about doing something. And I think this is good for people to define what they're what their things are because Mm -hmm. learning when to tell yourself no sometimes is more important than anything else. Um, Mm. Because a lot of us, well, we're creative. We get really hyped up when we see something and why don't we have that? I'm going to do that. Why not? And sometimes we don't do all the the work first to make sure that that's, that's a viable thought. Um, Mm. So for me, one of the things is, is, is this unique? You know, does it, does it fill a hole, a gap in the market that we've identified uh, is it different enough from our competitors to stand out? Kind of how you asked me, what does what did Empire do in the beginning that made us unique? Um, does it benefit the community around us? Mm-hmm. That is something that's important to me as a human. Um, you know, supporting the neighborhoods around us and being in some cool districts and making sure that we're very involved and also that we're not the third pizza place in the district. I want to be respectful of other places that are in those districts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so community, uh, uniqueness. Oh, and is, is this something I love? Is this something that I'll never get tired of thinking about? Yeah. And things, you know, I never get tired of listening to Garth Brooks. I, you know, so that's, that's one of those things. <laughs> that's sort of a joke, but it is also true. Um, and then, That's funny. I was just listening to the Dixie Chicks this morning. They're like old CD. Really? I, yeah, I don't know what, I, don't, I, I have to tell you, like, I've, I go in and out of country music, but it's so funny that you brought up Garth because he came on the shuffle and I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, I'm really in the country, the country yeah. mood right now, I guess. Garth, Garth had some bangers, man. He really I, did. He really did. I mean, we might have to do a separate podcast outside of this. <laughs> yes. about- well, I, uh, well, I was like, is that, is that the goal? Is like Garth Brooks at the holiday party. Like that's when you know oh, you've yeah. uh, <laughs> really, really gone big. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, like, I think I evolved past like that part, and he might have evolved past me as well in that in that regard. But you know, I got really into Brandy Carlisle over the past three years, and so I love all kinds of music. Just a note about me is, I mean, I mentioned Ghostland. That's like an EDM band, essentially. Yeah. Just, I love everything. I'm very eclectic uh, myself, so I get it. Yeah, I mean, why not? I, I love music. If I wasn't doing restaurants, I would be involved. In my sister's a oh, musician yeah. here in the city, uh, as is her fiance, and I'm so jealous sometimes. But yeah. I live vicariously through her and always have music playing. So anyway, uh, and music's a big part of our restaurants. Too. Like <laughs> I make playlists for every restaurant. 
They have very specific stations that they're allowed to play at lunch, at dinner. I have very specific thoughts about if it's cloudy outside, if there's less than this many people inside, trying to get them to think like me about cultivating and and curating that experience because the vibe is almost is such a big part of what I enjoy of dining out. I'm skewing from your question, but I think this is important to say real quick. No, this is important. This is great. This is very important. I would say this is all about the experience and you thinking about the guest experience, like very, very holistically, even the day and the weather. I mean, I wouldn't have thought of that. So I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little crazy about that music. I think is so important. (laughs) You know, if it's too loud, if it's off, if it's, you know, all, if you're playing the wrong thing for the, you know, the, the clientele that's maybe there at that time of day, like be, Pay attention. It's about paying mm-hmm. attention mostly. Yeah. Um, but it used to be good enough. Like whenever there were less restaurants, I, you know, in the past few, you know, decade or two, there's just been a, a ton of new restaurants that have opened. The pandemic reduced some of that. Then we saw everybody kind of come back and you see some people having growth again. Uh, but I think it used to be good enough to do one of these three things well. Um and it would either be like your quality and consistency of your food or whatever you're serving. Uh, service, I think, was the other part of it. And I think atmosphere is the third part. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think you in the past, you know, 20 years ago, people would just say, I love the food at Applebee's and that's where I go. The service might be crap. The atmosphere might be crap, but they love that dish. And so they forgive the other two. Um, that's not good enough anymore. You have to, I think, hit at least two of the three. And the people who are very successful hit three of three pretty consistently. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I might go to a place that I've had such great experiences at and the music's perfect and the food is great, but my service was not that great. You know, it was slow or they were a little bit, they were having a bad day or kind of whatever was going on with them. But I forgive them for the one. But if the music was great, but the food and service was bad, I'm probably not going back there anytime soon just because it didn't check my boxes. And so I think it's very important moving forward that people really consider the spaces that they're building. I'm like a big fan of trying to to hit all five like senses. What does it sound like? What Mm. does it feel like? What does it smell like? Why we don't use scented candles in restaurants? You know, like all those things are Mm -hmm. very, I think they're kind of fun to play with. Yeah, because you're playing with what triggers people uh, in good ways. And you notice the things that are bad and you hopefully don't do those anymore. But uh, I love like changing the song in a restaurant or watching a playlist come on a song maybe that I love and I think is perfect and watching people kind of like like they're slurping Bob along to it. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Those are my favorite moments. So anyway, um, I like that. And it's like all those experiences are what people remember when they, when you, if we're really going to get into the psychology of all of this, don't they always talk about, like, you remember scent. So you remember like the smell and then you remember the sounds, whatever. I, I don't, I don't exactly know here. So, but yeah. you guys know what I'm talking about. And I feel like when you take all of those together holistically, that makes sense that you're focused on that. And that if you actually broke down all of these aspects of the restaurant, you would find one of those senses in there. So yeah, it makes sense to me. For sure. I was in a former life at a soft opening for a restaurant and my, my friend was the publicist and the playlist was interesting. There's probably way too much Rob Thomas involved for the neighborhood it was opening in. It was Matchbox 20. It's great. I thought you were going to say Nickelback. There, there might have been some Nickelback and there might have been that LFO song uh, with the oh, Abercrombie. No. And I, okay. I pulled my friend Courtney aside and I, w- I was just like, you got to do something about this before you guys open for real. Like, this, this, 
<laughs> could not be the uh... oh man <laughs> and yeah, i went back a week later and the music was indeed was markedly different so they <laughs> i have to tell you oh go ahead go ahead go ahead rachel yeah you go ahead I was going to say, I have to tell you that I did go to a restaurant once and I asked the music to be changed. I mean, me and the table next to me, it was only, I've never done this before, but we were at this like lounge area. It was like a cocktail lounge and you were expecting, you know, a vibe. And they were just playing this bizarre, like music that I'd never even heard of, like weird 80s music. And the table next to us, we were like, what is going on in here? And so we asked, they were like, hey, like, this is a really weird request. But any chance we get the music changed, they were like, oh my gosh, like our carpenter was in earlier today and he asked to turn it on and we forgot to change it. And you're right. It's really weird. So I'm like, okay, it wasn't just me. Yeah. It was the carpenter. It was the carpenter. Carpenter, yeah. Don't ever that guy again or whoever. Yeah. We are working on a new project right now that is along the lines of you know, this thought process we've been having, small mm-hmm. footprint, things that are built for duplication, scalability that fill a hole in the market. Uh, it's called Remix Ramen. Uh, Goro is a fantastic, very successful restaurant here. It is a one of a kind. It is very chef driven and it is right next door to a very amazing Asian supermarket. That doesn't exist everywhere that we try to go. Mm-hmm. And it has been made too heavily dependent on that. And so what we did was, is we've created this, uh, more Americanized, like less traditional. Our tagline is sort of an unconditional, uh, an unconventional spin on a Japanese classic, you know, or a traditional Japanese classic. And um, with that, I was trying to convey to our creative team, because we're doing design build on this, which is really fun, but it's a pain in the ass because that means like I'm picking out everything as we go. Mm-hmm. Like there's not mm-hmm. an architect who goes, here's what we think this place should look like. I didn't want to do that on this. I wanted to really like, do it myself. One, I love doing it. It is slow and it usually ends up being more expensive with the mistakes that I make along the way. Yeah. But it it makes me have a very personal attachment to every part of it. And I was trying to get my team, like, as I've been trying to convey like my thoughts, sometimes I speak better in music than I do just out loud. And so I made a playlist. And I have brought a boom box, like kind of or what a boom box. Oh my God. Like a maybe it is boom box. I mean, I don't know that really hey, we, we, we know what that means yeah, so yeah. we know what that means we know <laughs> i'm kind of rocking out to that um yeah so i took like a portable speaker there we go up there and i made everybody sit in there the other day and i was like i made this playlist and i just want you to like listen i want you to like sit in here feel the and vibe. I, I right and then i'm walking around with like some samples and i'm like see this would look like this and like the line would go like this anyway uh but I, I'm making a pitch deck for prospective landlords in other cities that have reached out to us. And I'm like, well, I can't show you the concept because it hasn't doesn't exist yet. But we're making this whole like really fun book. <laughs> and it's just like, what are the employees wearing? And the playlist is in there so they could click it and go listen to it and kind of like feel what it would you know sound like. You've got a mood uh, board. You've got a mood board with sound. That's what you've got. Yeah. yeah. And textures and all the things. Yeah. So that's just how I work best. but. Um, you know, anyway, all, all those are just things that my best advice to anyone is you've got to run the numbers and mm-hmm. you have to be realistic with yourself. You need to take your check average. You need to estimate like a low, medium, high, you know, annual revenue. And then you need to go back out all of your expenses and you need again to be like 
on the high end um, of those things because numbers don't lie. And no matter how cool of a concept you think you have, um, if you can't get that part right first, there's no sense in going to like the next part. Location continues to be extremely important for us. Um, I found a really cool tool the other day that I had never used before. We were looking at um, a new location that I don't know much about the demographics around there. And there's a major university there. And so our major food vendor, they have a really cool software tool where they can, and, and maybe this is like not news to everyone else. It was just news to me, but they went in and they were able to give us uh, information about all the different kinds of restaurants in the area. It would say like, there are 10 pizza places within a one mile radius of this, of this. Here's the demographics. Here's the median income. Like here's the breakdown of demographics of this university and all these things. And I thought that was amazing because we were about to do all that legwork ourselves, mm-hmm. and they did it with like one click. And mm. so, you know, technology has become a really, uh, we were, we were griping about technology earlier, but it is such a necessary thing. Uh, we switched recently all of our point of sale systems from an older system called focus. that's similar to like Aloha or, uh, um, I can't think of what the other major one was at the time, but we all moved to, right. Yeah. Well, we're using toast now and I've had a hard time tracking this one because we just don't have a person to dedicate to doing this one task is very tedious. Uh, but we need a full year of data to be able to track like our turntable time. I wanted to see if it had improved. Um, mm. Everybody's using QR codes. You know, I think they have a place in certain styles of restaurants. I still love a good, you know, solid hard menu at a fantastic cocktail bar or somewhere like that. I don't want to be like scanning a QR code. I right. will, but I think it's just one of those hospitality moves when you are handed those printed beautiful menus. And I love that. Mm. Um but that's allowed us to do so many awesome things. And I think be so much faster with service um, that I can't wait to run those reports and really see what that looks like. But within Toast, there are so many integrations you can do also that I think are time-saving tools that will help people in their back office cut down on how many people they need. You can run payroll through there. It's expensive, but you could do it. Um, you know, there's all these inventory tracking systems and things that we're still learning about loyalty programs and all this data on your customer that we weren't able to get through our other uh, point of sale systems in the past. And what I also really like about Toast, no, they don't pay me to say this, but I uh, really like that when we have a problem or we see something that we don't think exists, they try to create it for us. And um, that's really cool. And uh, I appreciate that about them. And I, I, they're growing for a reason. For sure. But yeah, embracing technology and then, you know, just being real with yourself about uh, your numbers, I think are the two, you know, well, the, the numbers thing is the most important thing for us to start with always. Yeah, you got to You got to know what you're you got to know your data in order to make like the best informed decisions. So I although, like you said, it's tedious. It's like one of those necessary evils like anything. Right. And in. Man, this is this is why I like to use external accountants because I'm not a numbers person. But I've had to learn to be to an extent, yeah. Um, but it's 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 takes a special person to be an accountant. I've got yeah. a mom and a brother. I think they're anomalies in their field because they don't aren't their typical <laughs> uh, accountant. But yeah. the things they talk about speaking a different language. I don't even know what they're saying most of the time. But yeah, <laughs> necessary evil. So pulling back to more like a big picture industry view i'm curious we've talked a little bit about you know techno- technological shifts uh, obviously labor challenges 
What has you kind of most excited? Uh, you're obviously very passionate about the industry, about the future of hospitality uh, sitting where you are today. Great question. I wish you would have told me that one before this podcast so I could have given you some like, <laughs> thought out answer. Um, <laughs> no, we want to hear. We want to hear a first first thing that comes to mind. That's what we want to hear. We want to hear that on the. Well, this just, is where we go on the fly. <laughs> this sounds, you know, bad, but the, uh, I just started really feeling a renewed sense of like hope and and passion. Not passion. I've always been passionate, but um, I feel different now than how I felt even six months ago. Mm-hmm. Everything was so hard during the pandemic. Everything was so crazy, and so one of the wild parts of it was. All these, all these big groups too, all these people that we watch, we watch some of our favorite restaurants close and really great operators lose things, not only just here in Oklahoma City, but, you know, my favorite food city, Chicago and in New York, a lot of places disappeared. And so we were all kind of reduced to the same level where no one knew what to do and no one knew what the future held. And that was really cool because to an extent, because it made us all talk to each other finally. I think we were always mm-hmm. like very like protective of our, what we were doing and there were like levels like people have been doing it for a long time and there were these people who were kind of in the middle ground there was like the newcomers kind of like us and I don't think there was mutual respect for some of those things but um I see a lot of that now and so I'm seeing a lot of really cool collaborations um I find it a lot easier to have conversations with fellow operators and we're just coming up with really cool ideas um and I think the future of restaurants is different moving forward. I think we are mm-hmm. going to see this model that I'm talking about a lot more often. Um, I think it'll continue to evolve. Uh, a lot of things, and you, if you eat out much, you know this. And, and I'll use Chicago again. Sorry, my favorite food city. But, you know, you go eat at some of the amazing restaurants there. And people like Grand Ackett's. And there's now, now the movie The Menu has come out, which I'm not sure if you've seen it mm-hmm. yet. But I want <laughs> twice and i watched that movie and they it's kind of like the death of like ultra fine dining to an extent Mm -hmm. it will still exist but i think people are being more thoughtful about their dollars and not putting stuff like gold truffle flake on something just to be weird one you can't afford to anymore um a lot of people can't afford to anymore and a lot of people can't aren't gonna be able to afford to eat that either so the right. supply chain is really affecting the decisions that we're making on a day-to-day level. Um, and so I think we're definitely going to see restaurants start operating in smaller footprints. Um, yeah. I don't know how you can't. The, with rents being so high and just the labor issues and, and supply chain stuff, I would rather operate in a small footprint and have, mm-hmm. you know, fly in Tokyo that I knew I could sell and then try to do it in a 12,000 square foot space because I just don't see that working in a lot of places. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it allows for more customization too, right? Because you're not having, you can really, you can really tailor things, I suppose, when you're working in a smaller space versus this large space where it, you know, a lot of the capital investment, lot of, you know, just all the other stuff that goes along with the labor, all that. So, um, well, then you're yeah. looking at interest rates and looking at all these yeah. things and, you know, everyone has different investment structures and strategies for how they fund these businesses, but you know, banks never really liked loaning restaurants money in the first place. And yeah, uh, they, they're a little gun shy on that now. If you've ever, I hope no one's had to do this, but if anyone listening has ever had to liquidate a restaurant uh, and try to auction items or whatever, you get like sometimes pennies on the dollar for what things are worth. And it's mm-hmm. just brutal. Um, yeah. and so I think with interest rates being kind of wild right now too, and 
just everything's a little bit unpredictable. I think we might see a slowdown a little bit in certain uh, aspects of the industry. And then I think you'll see some of these, like the smaller footprints, maybe ramp up and keep running to duplication. But you know what? I get surprised by things every day. Mm-hmm. And I, it's some people have success running those those larger footprints, and that works for them. Um, but I, I just know what we do, and that's what we're gonna we're gonna try to hedge our bet and go small and fast for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. It was so it was so great talking to you on the show today. Um, but before you go, we have something at the end here that we call the tasting menu. Three quick questions. First thing that comes to mind to you. For first thing oh. that comes to mind. All first, right. What Prepare is the best? Yourself. What is their favorite pizza topping? Pepperoni. Yeah, that's a good one. Standard. Classic. I, you know, so I feel like most people would probably answer pepperoni if you asked them that. I mean, if yeah. as long as cheese isn't an option. But I feel like cheese yeah. is part of the pizza. That's not really a, you know, it's not really anything totally. else. So, okay, favorite city to eat in? Chicago. You, kind of, you said the Chicago. Do you have a favorite <laughs> restaurant in Chicago? Right after I said oh, it, I remembered. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, one of my most memorable dining experiences quite a while ago was that girl and the goat after it had just oh, opened. Oh, yeah. And I love uh, her food and any of that Boca restaurants are always mm-hmm. amazing. Anyway, so that's that's that, probably my most memorable spot. But I love Kuma's Corner uh, for sign of rock and roll burgers, um, and then also Oshaval. Um, oh yeah, so, Burger Punk, one of our places, a loose model after those two things combined: uh, Kuma's and and Oshaval, uh, small shop. Yeah, good good burger places to draw on if you're going to totally. do a burger concept mm-hmm. for sure. And Stephanie Izzard, you can't go wrong. Like you said, any of the Boca restaurants. When everybody comes to town, I always send them to any of the any of the Boca yeah. restaurants. I'm like, you cannot go wrong with any of those. And Girl and the Goat, I know it opened up a while ago, but it's still awesome. So yeah, yeah. that's what I hope people say about our group, you know. And so I really respect what they do. Same thing with Union Square Hospitality, Danny Meyer, yeah. company in New York City. Oh yeah, sure. totally. Okay, I feel like I know the answer to this last question, but I'm gonna I was see, just thinking that too. I know. I'm going to see if you answer differently. <laughs> Celebrity that you'd be most excited to host in one of your restaurants. <laughs> well, it's going to be, it's honestly, people would think it's going to be Garth, but I think it would be gonna... Brandy Carlisle right now. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah, moment. Uh, we have a lot of similarities. People say that our hair looks the same sometimes, which I take as a compliment. Uh, but she she's incredible and she's had a really interesting life and uh, she just seems really like down to earth and I love her music. So that's my person right now. All right. Would you have them in his? OK, I feel like I need to ask you one more. And that's what band you would love to have at your restaurant. If you could host a live band <laughs> or a live performer, who would it be? I mean, I would love if Garth played Empire, that would be wonderful. <laughs> it would be hilarious. It would be amazing. And it would yeah. be my life circle because his music you know played a big part of my life growing up i'm recording uh ada oklahoma which is south of eastern oklahoma and you know i just remember driving around <laughs> it's like sounds like a country song but you know listening to to garth with my dad and my grandpa and the pickup truck on the all that kind of stuff and so it played a, a definitely played a role in my life so i think that would bring it all kind of full circle if uh, oh, yeah. if garth would show up at empire that'd be pretty sweet garth brooks if you're listening yeah, exactly. Next time you're in Oklahoma City, hey, you know where to go. 
I don't know for a fact that he's a listener, but I don't know that he's not. So you you never know. One of these days, uh, yeah, it'll it'll happen one day, no doubt. Garth, if you're a listener, please retweet us. (laughs) (laughs) Please. We're, yes, we're definitely going to yes. add him on, uh, on social. We are going to add it. him. We are. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Hey, I mean, well, he's thanks from Oklahoma, so you got to add him. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We, can really, we, can really muster, we can really muster up the excitement with him. So, Well, thank you so much, Love Rachel. It was, such a, it was such a pleasure to have you on today and hear all of your, hear all of your thoughts on building um, 84 Hospitality. And I'm, look, I, really, I wish you the best in the future and nothing but more success for you guys. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Rachel. All right. See you later. Want to hear more? Then you need to head to backofhouse.io, where you can find the latest on restaurant technology, industry news, a ton of free how-to guides, and interviews with industry experts. And while you're there, definitely remember to sign up for our free newsletter, Back of House News. Our team of reporters cuts through the noise and gives you the headlines that you really need to see each and every week. This is honestly one of the best weekly newsletters I've ever read, and I wouldn't say that if it weren't true. Follow us on Twitter at BOH underscore news and at We Are Back of House on all other platforms. No!